Hey, Emily. Hey, Stephanie. You uh, want to do a podcast? Absolutely. Welcome to Cycle Chats, a podcast to destigmatize what it means to be a woman. This is episode 29 The Birds and the Bees. Today, we get the chance to sit down with busy mom, wife, and educator with over a decade of experience. She's a parenting coach and a queen bee that holds a BS in education and a master's degree in educational leadership, Casey Wyke. Thank you so much, Casey, for joining us. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting. I really like the episodes that are geared more towards the parent listeners that we have, because I know my brother listens like religiously every week and he's a parent. He has, you know, his two kids are seven and nine and they're two young ladies. And eventually this is going to be conversations that have to be had, if not already had. So I look forward to this conversation just for my brother, for future for anybody who's listening that even just wants to educate themselves. I think it's really, it's a pretty cool thing that you do. So that brings me to my first question. What made you get into this field? (laughs) Well, it wasn't, you know, like a clear path. Like I didn't grow up going, wow, I'm going to be a sex educator when I grow up. Though I do have thoughts where I think back to middle school and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was trying to tell people what sex was on the playground in like middle school, I think. And they were running away from me. (laughs) So I guess I've been talking about this for a while. But I did, I did get my degrees in education. I spent many years in the classroom. Some of that time I did teach middle school sex ed and I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I did feel a little bit constrained by the curriculum, by the training that I had in the district and what I could and couldn't say. But I did feel like it was so important working with these middle schoolers, talking about these important concepts. And then as I had my own kids, I was being pulled a little bit out of the classroom because I wanted to be home with my babies. And so I was looking for something that I could do you know, at home, but then still be part of the education realm. I love teaching. I love educating people. And then this kind of just fell into my lap. I was talking with family and friends over several month period, and it kind of became a repeated theme. You know, people saying like, oh, I just, you know, I need to talk to my kids or this conversation came up and I'm not sure how to handle it. And I felt like I was giving advice and talking about it in so many different ways. And I thought, wait a minute, maybe this is what I need to be doing. And so I had already been part-time at my school district. So I ended up resigning from the school district and being able to work on this and then stay home with my kids. And it's been amazing since I did that. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. I still get to work with amazing people, use my skills in education, talk about things I'm passionate about, and then, you know, spend those precious times with my kids too, because they're only little for so long. So, you know, it's kind of a roundabout way, but I'm so glad that I am where I am right now. That's so cool. I mean, I know, and we've talked about this before, like sexual health education in schools is sorely lacking because you do, you're restricted in what you can speak about. And if somebody asks you a question, you have to be very careful because of legal issues. So the fact that you did that, right. And we're in middle school, which is such a pivotal time in our lives. And I don't think we realize it until we're older. We're like, oh, right. That happened in middle school. So I'm thankful because sexual education is really important. And and since you you did get to leave and resign and now doing it in your own light. I think it's just, it's important. It, it shouldn't be a taboo topic. I don't think there should be really any rules about it. I think it should just be open dialogue because if they have questions, Stephanie and I were educators at a children's theater for, I was there for two years. I think Steph was there for six. And, you know, if the kids asked us a question, we answered point blank, no matter what it was. 
just because we we didn't sign any contracts. So it wasn't, there wasn't any legal issue really. I just think it's important. And now I teach at a college level. And like, if they have a question, I'm more than happy to answer. Cause I just, if we try and shield it and like put that information under a rug somewhere, so many bad things can happen if we just don't try and share the education that we know as adults. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when I was teaching in the schools, I realized like there were so many misconceptions that these kids were coming in with 11, 12, 13 years old, or there were so many great questions they had, but then they were like family values questions or things that I couldn't necessarily speak to and would say like, that's so great. You know, I'd love for you to go home and talk to your parents, you know, and then they're like, oh, no way. I can never talk to my parents. And I was thinking back on my childhood, like, yeah, I never would have asked my parents that either. So I don't blame them. But I realized that shifting the conversation to homes is really where the impact is. You know, not even all of the states mandate sex education, only about half. And then of those that mandate sex education, I think only about 17 of them have to be like medically accurate and comprehensive programs. So a lot of parents are like waiting for their kids to get sex ed in school and they might not even get anything. And if they get it, it might not be, you know, what they as a family believe. It might might not be, you know, enough information. I mean, I remember ours, I mean, it's been revamped. But the sex ed, I had like the lady came in and called herself the abstinence lady. I don't even know her name to this day. Wait, hold up. Because we had something very similar. I was religious upbringing. I always say I'm a recovering Catholic. Some people get it. Some people don't. I, however, did not have a great experience with it because a lot of it was very fear-based. It was very like women and men were super separate. But this lady came in and basically was like trying to be like abstinence is cool. And while I get it, I think there's a merit to it. The way that they were describing it was so odd. And it was so like you're sinful and like if you do it before marriage there's something wrong with you this was all just and again it's like it's hard because I don't want to knock religion totally but when it comes to sex ed I think it has to be medically accurate you have to be very honest because kids are like sponges and especially in my scenario I soaked this in and thought oh my gosh even if I think about it I'm a bad person and that created a lot of stuff that I'm now working through in my older years so to be able to come in and explain it in a way that obviously you don't, you don't need to be graphic about it but I think there is a way to present it that is easy for the kids to digest, but for the parents as well. And then, you know, as far as the values system goes, whatever somebody believes at home, religiously or otherwise, that can be something that they then sit down and discuss as a family. But to, to start off the gate, I would have loved sex ed that didn't feel so like they were scaring you to not have sex. Because I didn't, which I guess was the point. But then when I finally did, and I was like old enough to understand it, and I was doing it, I was like sad. I was like crying afterwards because I'm like, oh my God, I'm a sinner. You know, it's, it's silly. I don't do that anymore now. Now, if I cry, it's really good. But no, I mean, it was like I was raised in the 90s, and that was very much the true love weights, abstinence only, fear based sex ed culture. And, and like you were saying, while it has, you know, a place and an importance in some religious backgrounds or some more conservative thoughts, if that's the only lens that people are getting the information from, that's not enough. <laughs> I mean, 95% of people do not wait until marriage to have sex. That's just the reality. That's what the data shows. And more than 90% of parents will say, I want my child to wait until they're married. But what a lot of times we're lacking is then that like explanation to our kids as to why we want them to wait or what the value is behind that instead of just this fear of like, don't get pregnant, don't get STDs, don't get, you know, like, 
there's a better way to approach it. And so that's what I'm trying to help parents understand is that we can start young and build up to having these great conversations with our kids and really give them our perspective and our point of view. And if that is waiting till marriage, okay, but they have to have more information than that as well. Because if they are not that 5%, then they need to know. And even if they are that 5%, what happens when they have sex? Like they need to know how to know when you're ready, how to advocate for what you want, how to communicate with a partner and have a healthy relationship. So there's a lot more to sex ed than just doing it. Yeah. And I think parents also forget that too, because I'm I'm guessing it comes from a place of wanting to protect your offspring. Do you find that the parents that are saying, oh, I want my kid to wait, do you find that they themselves have waited? Or do you find that they just don't want their children to repeat the same quote unquote mistakes that they have? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a mixture. You know, like I said, 95% of people don't. So I-, I would say the majority of people I'm talking to, you know, I don't typically get into their sex life, but they have maybe made mistakes along the way. And I'm trying to help them realize like we need to, like you were saying, unpack a lot of our, our own baggage that we have, our own shame, our own thoughts and feelings that we had, because it's hard to be open and talk about this when we grew up in a totally different time. And when we had, you know, maybe parents who didn't say anything, didn't speak about it. And it seems like this new millennial generation of parents wants to do things differently and knows that it's good to do things differently with their kids in terms of talking about sex, but a lot of times struggling with how, how do we do it? You know, when you didn't have a role model like that, or you only had this fear-based education, how do you flip the script and change it for your own kids? So there's a lot of work to be done, I think. So then that brings me to my next question of how do we bridge the gap to have the conversation with these kids? It's not like one answer is going to get every parent there. It's really different. And I think like we just talked about, it's, it's a lot of unpacking your own issues and talking about why do you feel uncomfortable? What, what makes you feel uncomfortable? Is it all things that the, or they're just certain topics? There was a sexual experience, like a sexual assault or something like that. Then that's something that, you know, people really need to deal with, like with a counselor, therapist, so that they can be in that mental space to have these conversations. But I try and remind parents too, that it's not this big, like sit down hour to lecture, like it was back in the day. It's not the talk. I always say it's the talks now. And we're having like thousands of one minute conversations with our kids and the best approach is from the time they're little until the time that they are you know out of your house and beyond but really making it a comfortable situation one way that parents can get comfortable is just starting to say the words out loud a lot of times parents haven't heard themselves say the word you know maybe it's a term that like they're afraid to say like penis or vulva or something like that and so saying those words out loud can really help. I encourage too parents to write down their values, write out their thoughts, write what they want to say, or talk to a friend about it. Say it in the shower. You might say it out loud and you're like, oh my gosh, I would never say that to my kid. That sounds horrible. But it's all trapped in your brain and you built it up to be this big thing when really these conversations should be very relaxed and very simple. So I talk a lot about, you know, finding different places and different ways to talk to your kids. So like when you're in the car or when you're riding bikes or washing the dishes, take the pressure off. You don't have to look each other eye to eye. But again, I strongly advocate for parents starting as early as possible, which surprises a lot of people. You know, they'll go, oh, well, you know, when my child's like approaching puberty, y'all talk about stuff. And I have a two and three-year-old and I'm already talking to them, believe it or not. So 
I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, it's, you definitely start to experience these things early. I mean, I remember being young and what's the typical story that you hear? I was taking a bath, whatever the case was. And that exploring starts, but I think if it's talked about in a normal way, right? We talk about normalizing it. Again, you're not associating that with feelings of guilt or feelings of I'm doing a bad thing. You're just approaching it from a place of curiosity, which I think as an adult with, you know, a partner, curiosity is what the whole experience should be. It should be healthy and curious and you should be able to laugh if something doesn't work and be able to communicate during the act. And I I don't know that we have been taught how to communicate specifically as women. I think we are taught to be very quiet and it's sex is a man's thing and it's not, you know, for women. I mean, I fell into that trap. I remember being deathly afraid to ask for what I wanted. And at one point I was even told when I was like, um, I don't like that. The guy told me I've been with plenty of women before. Like I know what I'm doing. I'm like, well, you obviously don't if I'm saying I don't like this, like what? So it just, it's, I think it's great that you are starting young because as they start to get older, then they'll maybe add on to those questions. So you start with the basics and then you build, and then they can feel comfortable enough to come to you to say this thing happened is this normal for me to feel like this? Because how many times do women get them, not get themselves into situations? I'm going to be very specific about how I'm wording this, but we face situations where we think, am I doing something wrong? And again, that comes from lack of education. For instance, you're in the middle of something and you don't like it. You have every right to say no. I don't want this anymore. And that says nothing about your character or who you are. You are allowed to say no, even if you've started. And I know that, again, we've all been in those situations, unfortunately, where you say no and it's not honored or you're afraid to say it because you're like, well, what does that make me? Right. Or afraid of the repercussions. Are they not going to like me after this? Will someone break up with me or someone not want to be intimate with me? And I think that's huge. And if you don't have the basic conversations about what sex is and how your body changes and whatever, how do you get to those conversations then with your child about advocating for their needs and teaching them that their desire, especially our girls, right? Their desires are just as important as their partner's desires. And so, I mean, I know that those aren't easy conversations to have, but the more that we talk about it and the more that it's normal, the more we can have those great conversations because how great would it have been to have, you know, one of your parents be able to say like, Hey, if you're ever faced with a situation like this, how would you respond? And you're able to talk through it. Or I just want you to know that you're always allowed to say no in any situation. And and, and going through that would be huge to have someone that you respect and trust be able to help guide you in that way. And we guide our kids in so many aspects of their life. And we think about and dream about, you know, I hope they have great friends and I hope they go to a good school or get a great job. But we don't, as parents, often think about, wow, I hope my kid has like a fulfilling and great sex life. Most parents are like, ah, I don't want to think about that. (laughs) Like, no thanks. But really it's part of who we are from the time that we are born until the time that we die. And we are, you know, sexual beings and it's part of us and it's an important part of us. And so it's something that we need to stop shying away from and start talking about. I love that. All communication is, is everything. I mean, I feel like if we all communicated and, and shared what 
our truths were the world would most likely be a better place instead of somebody else speaking for us, especially as women. I just, I hope for my nieces who are seven and nine that they they get to grow up and feel empowered to have these conversations and both their parents are educators. So I think any educator as a parent is just money right there because you're like prepared for situations. But I know that they're being educated about everything and just like the way that my, my brother and sister-in-law talk about partnership with them. You know, they always try and say, well, when you bring home or if you bring home a boy or a girlfriend, it's always open dialogue. And I think that's important because if you just try and hide something, it, I don't know, it's just, you're going to kick yourself at the end of the conversation then when they're hiding and running out of the house at 16 or whatever. I think that's kids are really creative. So they will find ways of accessing this information and it might not be accurate. So Casey, do you come across when you're in these settings? What are some of the questions you come across that are shocking to you that like, oh my God, where are you finding this? You mean from kids? From kids. Yeah. What's probably, what's one of the questions that you find comes up the most frequently that is incorrect? I would say that it's not necessarily a specific question, but rather just the influence of porn on our culture right now and our kids. You know, the average age that kids are being exposed to porn now is nine. So when parents again are like, well, it's a really big topic. That's really heavy. That's what I, I'm just uncomfortable talking about. I'm going to wait until they're in middle school or high school. Well, if we're waiting until middle school or high school, it might be too late. They've already been exposed. And now your child is trying to deal with all of these things that are not appropriate for their brain at such a young age and process through alone. So we need to prepare them. What I'm seeing is that kids have a false sense of what a sexual relationship looks like. They, you know, are getting confused because in, in a lot of porn, there is not strong communication. People aren't using birth control methods. The the physical appearance of like a penis or a vulva is, is very different from what you're going to find in real life. And so their vision and expectation of what sex is, is very skewed. A lot of mainstream porn is also pretty violent towards women or aggressive at least. And so boys, a lot of times will go in thinking like, oh, this girl wants me to choke them or be, you know, more physically aggressive with them. In most cases, the girls don't want that. And so they're not necessarily asking a question like, is what I see accurate, but they have these like mindsets. And then a lot of times it's after the fact, after, you know, maybe two teens have been in a sexual experience together and saying, whoa, you know, like that's not what I wanted or that's not what I expected because they're getting this wrong information. They're watching something that's fantasy, you know, that has actors and that is made to look a certain way. And then that's not reality. Same, I mean, same with ejaculation. And I mean, there's so many things that they're expecting to be different. And then it creates a lot of self-doubt. It creates a lot of, you know, they like feel down on themselves. Yeah. You start to criticize your own physical appearance. I I don't look good enough or I'm not big enough or my body doesn't respond that way. And what's wrong with me? And how come that position doesn't feel good? Because I think what people don't realize is in pornography, like, I'm sorry, but those angles, I'm like, that doesn't feel good. Like, it's like, it's like, oh my God. And sometimes you hear these women like going off and you're like, I doubt all of that. Every single little bit of that. So Yeah, I know it, but but the false reality, right, of what we just talked about is, you know, that's something that Steph and I talk all the time about social media and we have this love-hate relationship with it. It's not reality. It's okay if your house is messy. Everybody's out. Like, why are we trying to 
put up this false sense because then like you're saying, these kids that are getting exposed, they all have phones. My nieces are seven and nine. They have iPhones because they, you know, they want to be safe and I, I get it, but like they can go on the internet and like, look at Instagram and be like, wow, that girl looks great. Why don't I have boobs like that? It's just creating this really bad, harsh thing, especially for young women. And it's just, that's the reality we try and break with this podcast and with how we show up on social media, because just show up as you are, show up as you are, ask as many questions as you want. If we don't know the answer, we'll point you in the right direction. It's just, we have to stop this. I don't know, putting on a mask. It's just, it's not helping anybody. And it's certainly not helping women. So I was thinking, what age group do you usually work with, Casey? Yeah, so it's different. I do one-on-one coaching with families so that, you know, they could have a variety of ages in their household. But I also do workshops and I try and target them to specific age groups. So I'll do workshops for parents that have younger children, like two to six. And we talk about the basics of setting the foundation. And what do you talk about at that age? That includes things like naming body parts, teaching them basic body boundaries, starting to talk about consent, body awareness, types of touch. We want to keep our kids safe and we don't want to scare them. But at the same time, we need to educate them about what is appropriate, what is inappropriate, and even talking about how babies are made. And I've even said to my own kids, yeah, sperm and an egg come together and that makes a baby. And we're not at the point where we're going into full sex talks, but I'm laying that foundation so that when I say these words or when we have these conversations, they're not like shocked. They're like, oh yeah, that's like a little bit more than I knew before. And I really like to compare it to like when we teach our kids to read. We're not going to sit them down in the middle of elementary school and be like, okay, so here's all the letters. These are all the sounds. This is how you blend them together. Here's word sentences, you know, punctuation and paragraphs, whatever you would not, that would be way too much and way overwhelming and they wouldn't be able to absorb it. So the reason I think it's important to start young is number one, to keep them safe, you know, to try and keep them as safe as we can as parents, that's part of our job. But two, like I said, to lay that foundation and be able to slowly grow over time with their knowledge and set yourself up as the expert, as the go-to person. If they've always known you as the person who talks about this, then when they have a question, they're going to come and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, what about X, Y, Z? Instead of, hey, internet, let me Google big boobs. And then, oh, now I'm on a porn site. So yeah, when we, when we talk younger kids, where it's the basics, when we get around age six, seven, eight, that's when we want to start letting them know what sex is. And being very clear about it and not hiding it and saying you're too young or this is something that's, it's not for kids, letting them know it's not for kids, but letting them know what it is because that's when they're curious. And again, it's going to normalize it so that when we've talked about bodies, then we've talked about sex, then we can talk about ways to, as they get older, ways to protect ourselves and safe sex and also the benefits of sex. Sex, most of the time people are having sex because they want to, because they like it, um, not because they're trying to have a baby, right? And so talking about the pleasure aspect of that and that they deserve that at an appropriate time. And then being able to talk with your preteens and teens about healthy relationships and ways to say yes and ways to say no and you know things that they're curious about and you know when you have that trust with your child it's such a great impact on your relationship I mean when kids are able to talk to their parents about sex they feel more connected to them as parents in more ways than just the conversations about sex they feel comfortable talking to them about anything, which is really great. And what we want for, I mean, I've never met a parent that's like, I don't want my kid to talk to me. Like, I hope they never ask me any questions, <laughs> but if we don't give them the opportunity, it's a lot harder to do. Now I'm not saying if parents are listening and they're like, Oh no, like I dropped the ball, my kid's nine or my kid's 12 or whatever. I guess I won't say anything. No, like it's not, I always say it's never too early or too late because your kids want to know whether they ever say it or not. They might say, you gross mom, like, don't talk about that. But deep down, they want to know. I mean, there was just, I saw recent 
research recently that said three out of four college students wish their parents had said more. So your kid's not going to get to adulthood and go, wow, they really told me too much. The likelihood that that's going to happen is almost zero. <laughs> the likelihood that they'll say, man, I wish they had said more is, is high. So we can get around that by just having these little conversations and man, using what's on TV. There's so many examples of good and bad relationships and talking about, hey, did you see that in that show? Wow, what did you think about that? And asking them because a lot of times they need to process through it as well. So we can use everyday experiences. And like I said, we should be talking throughout the ages. So yeah, I tailor my workshops for different age groups, like I said. So like two to six, six to 10, 10 plus, because there's different layers of those conversations we need to have. And if you're starting later, there's a lot more catch up that you need to do, but it's still really important to not just leave it to schools or hope someone else tells them or say, oh, well, they already know it, you know, because they might say they already know it. But what are they actually saying that they know? Right. And you can say, that's great. What do you know? Or you could say, well, you might know it, but I want to tell you what I know. Yeah. Let's see if our, our know-its are the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You said something interesting, how you use the correct terminology. I recently came across a TikTok where the mom was telling her child to utilize the proper words. So instead of saying you're down there, you're no, no, she's like, you use the word vagina and you use the word vulva because in a predatory situation, that would make the predator very, very uncomfortable that they're using those, those words. And I had never thought of it like that. And I was like, you know, that's so true is that we try to sugarcoat it. And I think we end up making it seem more taboo than it actually is, because that is what it's called. It's called a vagina. And it's we shouldn't be like censoring it or being like my down there's or, you know, and uh, Emily and I have pins that say my vagina hurts to wear during our period. And it's like, oh, God, that's so taboo. Is it though? Because it does hurt. It's bleeding. It's very upset right now. Like, you know, and it's I like that that's something you implement, because that is what ends up making it feel less sinister because it's not. And so I, I think that's an important thing to bring up is that use the correct terminology. It's important too. It's there's nothing wrong with it. That's one of the easiest ways that parents can start too. When they say like, well, what would I even say first? I just say, well, start with the correct terms. If you haven't used them, you can say to your kid like, hey, you know, I kind of dropped the ball. I should have been talking about this. I want to make sure you know the correct terms. And so from here on out, I'm going to be saying them and I want to make sure that you can use them too. And I'll help remind you. And that took me what, five seconds, 10 seconds to say, right? So it doesn't have to be a big, scary thing. You're just saying, but I, you know, for the safety aspect, right? Predator is going to be much more concerned about approaching a child who knows the correct body terms. It's one of the best ways as parents, we can keep our kids safe. There's no foolproof way to keep our kids safe from sexual abuse, but someone, you know, when we're telling people or our kids are saying these words like, oh yeah, I use the correct terms with my child. Oh, wow. They, you know, their kids informed. They're going to talk to their parents about this. So that's one of the best things we can do. But also, you know, for my kids, and I didn't do this right away with my daughter. This is one of the things my husband was saying, hoo-ha. And we kind of like laughed and thought it was cutesy and whatever. And I was like, oh, no, you know what? This is not good. Like we cannot go down this. This is what we did when I was growing up. I never knew the right words for a long time. We need her to be able to communicate with us, especially when we went through like potty training and stuff. I wanted her to be able to say my vulva hurts versus my vagina hurts. Those are two different things. If her vagina hurts and I need to take her to the doctor for vulva hurts, well then we might be able to figure it out. She could take a bath or, you know, like if it's potty training, maybe it's just toilet paper or something like that. And so we have made a conscious effort to shift. And sometimes she'll still say the words. And then I try and remind her, oh, did, were you talking about your vulva? 
or your vagina and try and clarify that. And same with my son, we use all the words, you know, and then the other day, poor little guy, he had his underwear on all wonky. And so he said, mom, my penis hurts. It's in my underwear wrong or something, you know, and I was able to help him instead of just saying like down there, down there that I would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's a lot going on down there. Yeah. From like a medical standpoint, I want my kids to be able to say, and then they're used to using those terms. You know, when they go to the doctor, they can say, this is what's happening. Or, you know, I remember my first gynecologist appointment. I'm like afraid to even say the word vagina because I never used it growing up and it wasn't normal. But when we use these words, then like I said, the other conversations come more easily. I saw another sex educator the other day. She did head, shoulders, knees, and toes, and then added a verse about penises and vulvas. And I thought it was cute. And so I did it for my kids and they didn't even bat an eye. They just were like, oh, we like that. And then they started singing along and it wasn't like, I can't believe mom said that. You know, they just were like, oh, that's a good song. That's great. But that's, you've opened up that communication with your kids. And I think that's what every parent is trying to achieve. You also mentioned something about how you grew up. And I remember, it's not exactly the same, but like, I remember a story of one of my parents' friends that they had known. They were super, super nice people. Unfortunately, they both have passed, but the I was always loved the wife, but the husband just, I don't know. He was trying to be too nice to me. And like my mom was a hawk. There was nothing that was going to happen to me without her knowing. And I was attached to her. So, but I just remember the guy trying to be nice and saying like, Oh, do you want to be my girlfriend? And I just remember thinking as a kid, I was like, absolutely not. Anytime we have these conversations, my mom's like, Oh my God. You know, and she takes it very much to heart. And I said, look, given your time, And given how you grew up and what you were used to, you were doing the best you could with the tools that you had, right? You were present there when that was happening. It was a cutesy thing. We knew nothing was going to happen because you knew them and they were very nice people. But as an adult now, that's something I would immediately, regardless of whether that person meant it as like a trying to be cute or not, I would have said, hey, listen, I get it. You're trying to bond and make my daughter comfortable, all that stuff. But let's refrain from using that terminology because I was very uncomfortable. So I just remember thinking like, what is that? Like, what does that mean? And what I had known about girlfriends was that they were supposed to get married to their boyfriends. That's what I thought in my head. So I find it again, interesting that we're trying to not only break the stigma of how we talk to our kids, but we're also trying to break the stigma of how we were raised as well. And like the things that were considered normal as we got older now, because more has come out and we've learned more about parenting, we go, that is incorrect. And we're lucky that it was, it didn't turn into something that it shouldn't have been. So just it kind of brought that story to mind. And again, I reiterate, just in case my mom listens to this episode, you're totally fine. It's not your fault. Joanne, you did the best job. Ever. She did. She really did. And like, when I say like a hawk, there was just no one was gonna screw with me. And she asked, it was like a drill sergeant with the questions. And she still is. And I'm like, mom, I'm 30. She's like, I know, I just want you to be safe. You know, it's do you lock your windows at night? I'm like, are you watching Dateline? Turn the TV off. Stop. So we want to be aware. And I mean, the sad reality is that when it comes to sexual assault, 90% of the cases with kids are from someone that we know. So it could be a family member, a friend, you know, neighbor. 
And we don't want to believe that all the time, but it's our job as parents to protect our kids. Our kids can't protect themselves. We can give them tools to keep them safer, right? But it's our job to ultimately protect them and do everything that we can. So like teaching correct terms is one of those things. Teaching them about the different types of touch are really important. I talk about like safe and unsafe touch or helpful and harmful. I use those terms with my kids. Was that a helpful touch or harmful touch? They were getting a little confused with things like vaccines, (laughs) going to the doctor, getting a shot. You know, they're like, well, that one hurt. You know, that was bad. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to help your body get stronger and fight off, you know, things. But then we talk about like secret touch is never okay. Someone should never ask you to keep a secret. And then as a parent, you can be, you know, watching and noticing are, you know, are people making inappropriate comments to your kids? Are they taking them out of the room to play a, a game with them? Those are like grooming techniques that people will use to gain their trust over time. And so we want to be aware of that and be watching that and then giving our kids tools of like, you know, you are in charge of your body. No one is allowed to touch your body unless you say it's okay. And no one should ever be touching your private parts. You know, there's kind of that caveat there of like, well, mom and dad have to help you wash when you're younger or like the doctor might need to check, but they will ask first. And, you know, even just little things with like grandparents saying, you know, come give grandma a hug, come give grandpa a hug, which is huge for me. You know, when I think about my own kids and then think about working with families, I want kids to know that this is not okay. You know, I want them to know what is appropriate and what is inappropriate or what is, you know, with little kids, what is helpful, what is harmful and what should never happen. But boundaries and consent, I don't feel like we're something, I mean, we were raised in the 90s too. Those were not part of our vocabulary. I was raised in an Italian up. family. Like everyone, kiss, hug, kiss 15 times on the cheeks, the lips, the nose. You're like, are we getting married? Like Jews and Italians are the same thing. So it was the same in our family too. Kiss, kiss, hug, hug. Let's eat matzo balls together. You know, whatever it was, you eat know. each other. You're like. Yeah, I didn't have a choice. That There was no choice involved and no boundary. Like I didn't learn the word boundaries until Stephanie and I started this podcast. (laughs) And I was like, what a bit, wait. And now it's my favorite word. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I need to set boundaries. Oh, under, like I knew the word boundaries, but I didn't know that it could be interpreted in that way and that you could use it. I'm almost 30. That's so sad that I didn't know that, but like, we didn't grow up with that consent no, not a word that I was taught in sexual health or by my parents. I, you know, so like, I love the fact that this next generation and for my nieces, they will grow up in this world where boundaries and consent, those vocabulary words are just becoming totally normalized so that they can use them on an everyday basis. Like you guys were talking about it. And I was like, I honestly cannot remember my sexual health class and getting the talk and like learning. I don't remember it at all. I don't think because the word consent was even used. No, because I remember it being very impactful on me. I was like, what? I was like, this is nuts. This is crazy. And I don't, I don't remember the word consent. I just remember it all being about like, save yourself for God marriage. I was like, okay. I don't remember talking about sex at all. The only thing that I remember from my sexual health class is watching a video that was in definitely from the eighties about doing drugs and like the kids dying and then coming back as ghosts and like trying to warn the other kids. That's what I remember. But like sex, I don't think we, I don't know if we talked about it. I don't think so. Yeah. That's, that's part of it too. I think parents are so much more influential than a health class or a sex ed class. You know, you might get it. You might not, you might remember something you might not, but you remember the things that your parents do and say, 
And you remember like the values that they instill in you and those important life lessons. And so if this is like part of that narrative through your childhood, you're going to remember it and you're going to be better prepared for your future relationships, for future encounters and things where you can make better informed choices. If you've talked about it, if you like, you're just relying on that, like one sex ed class in seventh grade, like how are you supposed to remember all the things and be informed and make great choices? Like more likely than not, you're going to have more regrets. You're going to, you know, might find yourself in situations where, you know, things aren't going the way that you had wished, or you're going to be confused. So it's so much more beneficial to open the conversation and help our kids be aware of what's out there, what's going on, what choices they have. Yeah. And they do, they have choices. I think that's huge, which brings me to my question of what women empowerment means to you. The ability to make your own informed choices that are best for you and to know that you have tremendous value and self-worth and that you are capable of doing whatever you want to do. You know, I aspire to raise my daughter like that, to be, you know, be true to yourself, be true to who you are and know that there are no limits or boundaries. If you set your mind to something, you can absolutely do it. But I want to make sure that she understands that she has the ability to make informed choices. And if you don't know something, then ask, then find the answer. Then, you know, don't just take things at face value and go on or be confused and go through life, you know, wondering. Amen to that. And then my last question for you is what advice would you give your 15 year old self? You know, for me, it would be to trust your instincts. If I'm thinking, you know, in terms of sexual health, sex ed, trust your instincts, you know, listen to those red flags and also follow your values. I'm, I'm really big on this values-based sex education because I want kids to know what their family values are, where they stand, and then also have the information to make informed decisions with that. You know, once they have the information, make informed decisions. And so I just think back to high school or college or, you know, people I've dated that didn't share those same values with me. And I learned things from them, but like I could have, you know, not wasted so much time (laughs) or gone, wait a minute, there's red flag for a reason. Or like, you know, we might have things in common, but we don't share these same values. And the core values are really important to, you know, a long lasting relationship. So I just think, yeah, I would trust your instincts, follow your values, and then don't be afraid to ask questions. I wasn't afraid to ask questions. Like in school, there were times where I was afraid to ask my parents questions. And I wish that I hadn't been so afraid of asking those questions and getting clarity so that I, again, could make better choices or understand what was happening in a better way. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for taking time to like talk to us. And this has been so nice to be able to share stories of the past, but also where we are presently and how we can help our future. So I feel like there was a couple different layers there that I really, really like. And I want other people to be able to discover for themselves. So where can people find you? And do you have anything we should be keeping our little peepers out for? Yeah. So I have my website. It's caseywike.com. C-A-S-E-Y-W-I-K-E.com. I'm on Instagram, same handle, caseywike. And then I do put out, like I said, various workshops for parents based on the ages of their kids. So I'll have some of those coming up soon. And I just put out an ebook as well. That's helping parents tackle the topic of porn with their kids. And so that's available on my website for parents right now as well. Well, I will definitely, you know, if we decide to have a, a child, I'll be re-listening to these episodes. Not that I don't listen to them 50 times as I edit them and then, you know, write down information and it just becomes a part of me, which is the best part. So 
thank you. Thank you for being here and sharing your knowledge, because as we said, education is empowerment. The more educated you are, the more empowered you get to be, because then you get to go out into the world and start changing the narrative. And I think that is what we're here for. So thank you, Casey. Thank you to all of the listeners. Guys, I want to be totally honest. There's probably anywhere, depending upon what episode and what we're talking about, anywhere between 30 to 50 of you. And to the bottom of my heart, thank you, all of you, because this is a small community and we want to get bigger. This is what this is all about. Stephanie and I are not here to make bazillions of dollars. We are here to get education out there because we think it's the most important way to be empowered as women, to be empowered as people, to be empowered as humans, to make this world a better place. So if you are one of those 30 to 50 people listening right now, if you could do me the biggest ask and A, if you're not following us on Instagram, make sure to go do that at Cycle Chats, all lowercase. And then if you could tag us in your favorite episode and why you like listening to the podcast, we know you guys are out there and you make our day. This is why we do it for you guys. So go out there, share an episode, or if every one of you could get one friend to start listening, it would make Stephanie in my day because that's what it's all about. It's building this community and we're here for you guys. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Really, I could cry just thinking about it. So I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day and we hope you sync up with us next time. <laughs>